KYW Original Podcasts. I'm Suzanne Monahan. School districts across the country are not only trying to figure out how to safely send kids back to school in the fall, they're also trying to manage getting students caught up on what they missed during remote classes. I spoke with Jim Cowan. He's the executive director of the Collaborative for Student Success, and he says teachers may have to prioritize subjects and adjust curriculum to account for student learning loss. A way to predict how far behind kids will be in the fall? So that's a, I don't believe that there is a, like a, a foolproof way to know, right? One, do you have kids? Do you have, I do. I do. So we're, me too. And we're all, I think we're all in this um, together. <laughs> uh, I, I don't believe that there's a, there's a foolproof way to, to predict how much learning loss has happened. And I also believe that, so initially we, we had done some surveys to look at how, you know, my, my organization did one to see how are teachers and, and advocates and educators feeling about this. And then some of our colleagues at Learning Heroes did some studies to look at how are parents feeling about this. And it's particularly interesting for us on how we're looking at this issue because, you know, initially and with our results, teachers were saying, we don't want to do extra summer school. We don't want to do some sort of uh, additional instruction before fall. And we initially interpreted that as teachers want business as usual in the fall. And how can that be? And I think we've, we've changed somewhat over the, the, the last several months because one we're, one, we're parents. Two, we've had more time to sort of look into this more. And also considered, you know, with, with many of the teachers, they're looking at ways to adapt their, the curriculum that they have in classes to make some really tough choices about what they're going to teach and when so that they can keep a kid on grade level. So say your, your son or daughter is in third grade when COVID hit, and then if, when they go back to school in the fall, they don't have to necessarily take you know, traditional remediation type courses, but rather they're able to have a teacher who, who has guidance on how to adjust the curriculum so that they're getting what they need to stay on grade level for fourth grade, but then they're also able to adjust for what they may have missed in the last couple of months of third grade. And that's so difficult, right? Because teachers typically have sort of lesson plans and a roadmap year to year that you pretty much follow. And I would imagine that the academic losses are going to be different among children, depending on what school you go to or what your situation was like at home. That's right. And and I think, you know, another reason why some of the, the, I believe that teachers responded the way that they did to our survey was, was that they kind of looked at each other and said, welcome to our world. You know, we're, we're shocked to think that, oh my gosh, teachers are going to have to adjust and deal with all this different sort of levels of learning loss at the beginning of next year. Well, guess what? They're already doing it. <laughs> They're already doing that. It, there's, a, there's a normal difference, you know, delta between the kids in a, in a classroom. It's just now it's probably going to be more, much more pronounced. And it's something the parents probably didn't truly consider until the pandemic. So do you think that they'll be facing a broader um, array of needs? Yeah, I think there's going to be many more needs now in things like social emotional learning. 
that that kids may not be may not even know how much they've been impacted by this loss, right? I think there's there's so many question marks about um, the overall impact of what this is going to have on on a kid's uh, sort of trajectory to to learn, and you know we're I think seeing now schools or districts are beginning to announce plans for how they're going to come back. And it's going to be bumpy. And we're already seeing it. It's bumpy, right? We're seeing, you know, some schools saying, hey, it's going to be a combination of in-person kind of traditional brick and mortar school classroom style uh, with, you know, obviously exceptions, uh, uh, changes for, you know, six feet apart and et cetera. And then there may be a portion of it that's remote. And then there may be some combination of, of the two of those. And there's pushback from, from teachers. There's pushback from parents because there's so much uncertainty about how this, how this can work. So I think we're in for, you know, this is, this is challenging of what teachers are facing. It really is because I, I, you're trying to predict the future with something that's pretty unpredictable. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what, you know, every, everyone is, is, is concerned about. I will say there are, there's a lot of hope too. Um, I've been impressed. My group has been impressed with, you know, the advocacy field has really, I think, come together and, and educators have really come together to, to try to find ways on, like I mentioned earlier, what can we do to prioritize the content that the kids are getting in the, in the classroom, which stuff may not be as critical to get at, at that time that we could let go. So we can focus on things that we know that they that they need to do, and we're going to be seeing the the curriculum providers, the publishers of this, also be helping out educators because this is a lot to put on a teacher. You know, if, if you are that fourth grade teacher, you learn how to teach fourth grade. You may not know how to teach the stuff that that your that your son or daughter missed in third grade, and it's a lot to ask a teacher to suddenly be able to do that. So they're we're seeing some of the the publishers and, and some of the advocacy groups come together to really assist states in those in the districts with making those those tough kind of choices. So these schools then they are realizing that the remote learning did not get in all that needed to get in. I think it varies across the board. Personally, like my kids who are you know going to school here in Northern Virginia, it's been rough. Um, and I'll be the first one to tell you, like having, you know, in the, in the field that I am and watching it, there's no way that that came close to what they would have gotten in a, in a traditional classroom setting with a, with a teacher. I, I just, you know, I don't, I do not believe that that's the case. Now I have heard anecdotally from, you know, that some states have really done a pretty good job. And this is another big question now too on, on teachers it is testing a whole new skill set for what it means to be a teacher. Right. I mean, you may have a, a, a teacher who has been in this, you know, an institutional, traditional brick and mortar school teacher for 30 years, but suddenly finds themselves in a digital world and isn't doing so great. <laughs> what that teacher may know doesn't translate really well. And on the other hand, you may have a, another teacher who may have just been getting into teaching and through you know, the traditional sense and has done extremely well in the digital world because they're more comfortable, they handle the technology better, kids relate better, and if, the, if they're making it more comfortable for the kids as they're, as they're learning, they're going to do better. So I think we're going to see you know, some really interesting 
changes in what it means to be a teacher. Something that stood out to me in the piece that you wrote is that you said that most parents or a lot of parents tend to misjudge where their children stand academically. So think about it. If when I've gone to a parent teacher conference, you know, with, you know, my daughter, and if the teacher said she's on grade level, I'd say, great. But I wouldn't, I may not ask like, okay, show me the proof that she's on grade level. You know, do do the, do the test scores line up to that? Like maybe the in-class metrics do, or the teacher's comments do, but they may not line up to what the actual sort of data says about the performance of my kid. And I think that happens to a, to a lot of parents. And you know, there's a, there's a natural tendency to, you know, believe your, your, your child is better, is doing better. And it's, it's, I think it's just a, it's just a human condition. And do you, is there an age um, or grade that you think is, is, likely most affected by this or does it vary really by the school and by whatever, you know, the support they're getting at home? So many factors. There's going to be a huge variance based on the conditions that a child has at home. You know, obviously what, what the support network looks like for them. And it's going to vary based on how well the school does with technology. You know, when, when the, when the pandemic happened, you saw, and rightly so, Schools were going and dealing with the most important things that that were in the in the now, which was safety. Uh, it was food safety, uh, making sure kids had school lunches, and that's you know still a case. Do kids have access to the internet? Do they have the ability to log on? You know, there's so many elements of just the technology side of, side of this, and then the you know the um, variance in the quality of the teachers and the ability to to adapt. So. There's so many variables across the board. I think it's going to be really hard to, to make any determination on that off, you know, right off the bat. People are going to study this for a long time. This is going to be an enormous uh, topic. But it's, it's going to be fascinating, too, to see what happens to education as we know it in the world. I think this is a, this is a pivoting moment for you know, the, the educational community to really consider about what is the most important things that we, that we do to help kids learn. So maybe in the long run, there will be improvements. You know, hopefully that's the case. I, I, I do hope that's the case. I, like I said, I've, I'm, I've been very happy to see, you know, what has happened with some of the, uh, the for-profit curriculum publishers and how they are adapting to take care of their, their clients, right? Their, their clients are the districts who are, who are putting texts and content in, in front of students. And they recognize that their clients are, are struggling right now to figure this out. So they want to be part of the solution. I think if I would say anything to, to anyone who's dealing with this, because, I mean, we, we all are, it's to really maintain. And there's never been anything that has, that has made the relationship between parents and the school more important than this. You, you really need to keep the lines of communication open. And you've seen some districts have done it really well and some haven't. But there's going to be, you know, if anyone says that they were ready for this and they, they saw this coming and they had a real, real good plan, I'm not, I don't think I'll believe them <laughs> because this is so enormous and so massive that everyone is figuring this out. So it's going to take some grace from parents and from the teachers and from the, the leaders and principals around this. And um, it's going to, you know, everyone will really need to step up 
and maintain you know strong communication and strong ties with your school systems. It's almost frightening because so much is unknown. It's particularly frightening, I think, for the kids who already were on the bubble, right? Or a lot of the underserved populations that are traditionally left behind, you know, the, the black and brown kids who may not have had all the best um, supports in, throughout their career on education. This is making achievement gaps that much more challenging. This is why you know, a lot of you know, my colleagues in the advocacy world are, are fighting to try to keep you know, some, of the, some of the structural norms of traditional schools that help these kids in mm-hmm. place. You're going to see a natural move, I think, for states to completely abandon annual assessments. And in the, in the aftermath or in the middle of COVID, completely understand, right? Like we are, they're dealing with so many things. The last thing you want to do is sit a kid down in a classroom and make them take, you know, a two years, you know, two, two day standardized test, but terrible <laughs> idea. Right. right. Sure. Um, and, you know, politically, no politician wants to stand up and goes, welcome back to school. Here, we're going we're gonna to lock you in a room for a test for the next two days. Bad move, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> but that said, like, at some point, we need to have those, those levers on sort of knowing what trends are over time on, on student performance. And without some of those, those uh, types of assessments, you don't have it. And so there's, there's a fine line of protecting some of that, but also being completely empathetic to the fact that everything is different right now. We, we initially were thinking, well, is there going to be some sort of diagnostic, you know, way of measuring learning loss when we get back to school? And I think, you know, the, the, the truth is some, some communities may find or try to utilize some sort of measurement tool to test this. But a lot of them are, are going to rely on adjustments that were provided by other experts to say, listen, we're going to make these adjustments to the curriculum for, you know, seventh grade or whatever to get the, the most critical parts of this to stay on track and to try to make up for the learning loss from last year. I think okay. what they're going to do is they're going to start off fourth grade like fourth grade, okay. but they're going to make they're going to prioritize what they focus on. They, they may make, they may um, get rid of some parts of their, of their plan so that they can focus more on, on trying to, to uh, in that, in that time frame identify where the, where some gaps are on skills. Cause there's a, there's a degree of like of prioritizing the content. There's, there are ways you can eliminate something. So you, so that you focus down on, maybe more of the things that were taught in third grade without mm-hmm. sort of repeating third grade. Cause the idea is, is to, you know, not over test is one of them and not to over remediate. And I think that's a, I think that's an important term and I'd love it if you use that to like, don't over remediate, which is don't make kids feel like they're, they have to learn something over again that they, that they missed. It, there's a, there's a lot of research showing that that is often prohibitive to to kids sort of gaining the confidence to move on. 
That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic here in the Philadelphia area, or if you want to know how what you see or hear on the news is going to change your own life or your own routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Suzanne Monahan, and we'll have another episode out soon. 